Well, congratulations again to Caden and Lily Hill. Thank you so much for uh, following after Jesus and not being ashamed of him, saying, I want to uh, say yes to my Lord and my Savior. Also, I know that uh, all of those children that were up here, they did so good. I was thinking they didn't get there by themselves. In this congregation today, I'm sure our fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers, I think we should also give them a round of applause. You guys are doing great. Thank you for being here today. Wow, how do you follow up those songs? I mean, it just tells the truth right there so, so clearly. I would like to invite you, if you will, uh, look at Luke. And we're going through the Gospel of Luke and uh, taking it chapter by chapter. And uh, this week we're at Luke chapter 11. And I want us to look at an unusual passage, verses 14 uh, down through uh, verse 28. 14 down through 28. And uh, we'll put it on the screen a little bit later, but you also know there's a Bible in the pew if you'd like to use that one. We would love for you to do that. But this week in Vacation Bible School, we began with the biblical truth of creation. And so six times on the six days of creation, the Lord saw what he made and he said, it's good. He said that six times on each day. Definitely when you saw your child up here, your grandchild, didn't you think, Lord, what a good gift that you have blessed us with. I know I was thinking that uh, for you. But as you move on in Genesis from chapter 1 to chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 19, it informs us that as men and women, boys and girls, we have to make a decision. Will we choose evil or will we choose good? Will we choose God or will we choose the devil? And so there's this real difficult decision and Adam and Eve didn't make a good choice. And a lot of times, all of us, we're the same. We don't make a good choice each and every time. But Jesus can help us with that. And that's why I'm so excited for these children. You know, passages like Isaiah 14, 12 to 17, and Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, they tell us, how did it ever get off then? Where did, where did evil even come from? As we learn that there was a guardian, cherub, or angel and he was really an important person in heaven, but he tried to lead a revolt against God. And so when he did, of course, it's not a contest between two equals. He was cast out of heaven and cast down to earth. And he's the one who tempted Adam and Eve. But you know, he, uh, that is the devil, he hates God and he hates all that is good. God always tells us the truth, but the other side always tells us lies. Since that time, each generation, and actually every person, needs to decide which team will I be on? Who will I follow? Who do I trust? Who, I, who do I believe in? Of course, the scriptures reveal that at the end, God wins. Evil will not win in the end. Maybe for a short period of time, evil appears to win. But in the end, good and God will win. They're both at work, though, in our world. They're both trying to recruit people to be on their team, God and the enemy. Jesus came into this world to make it clear how greatly our creator, each and every person in this room, how greatly God loves us and wants us to be on his team. That's what a lot of those songs were about. Luke 11, 14 to 28 is a brief glimpse at the spiritual realm, at that invisible war that's going on to try to pull you this way 
and pull you that way. So I'm praying that you would say, okay, I want to walk the way of Jesus. So if you will, look at Luke 11. Let me read this passage and make uh, four comments, four or five comments about it. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the gift of children. Lord, it was such a blessing. It always encourages our hearts when we see young ones sing about their creator. When they sing that you gave each one of them design, there's a special plan. There's a purpose of why they're here. And so every life is so important and so valuable. Thank you for how you're going to use them in the future. We'll be excited, Lord, to watch what you do through them. Lord, I know that there are moms and dads, grandparents, there's college students and high school students, junior high students. There's a, a whole group of people here. And so, Lord, if you could just speak to us from this passage and convince us that there's no middle ground, we do have to decide, will I follow Jesus or will I be against Jesus? So help us to see what this passage is trying to tell us. You really want us on your team. Thank you for those who are here who have already made that decision. May others make that decision before this day is up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let me uh, just point out a few things before we uh, dismiss this morning. First, notice the conflict that is down deep in the darkness. You know, on the surface, this guy that wrote this, his name was Luke. He was a physician. He was a medical doctor. So I wonder if on the surface, he would have assumed that this man's inability to speak was due to an illness, maybe something with his larynx, something with his uh, voice box, maybe his vocal cords. Maybe it was a neuro neurological issue 
Maybe it was the result of an accident that he'd gone through and he was somewhat paralyzed, at least from being able to speak. But in this man's case, not in every case, mind you, of those who suffer from mutism, but in this man's case, his silence was due to spiritual warfare. It says quite clearly here in verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Isn't that amazing that Jesus recognized the real problem? Sometimes, you know, I think we're dealing with the surface issues and we really need to say, what's the real problem? What's going on in our world? What's going on in our family? What's going on in my heart? Why am I dealing with worry and fear? What's going on inside? And I think only God can get down to the root cause. And many, many times it's that spiritual war. So there's conflict down in the darkness. Secondly, though, there's a response. And it's kind of a divided response. Some people in the crowd were not there to worship. It says some marveled, right? But not everybody marveled. Not everybody said, isn't that great? You know, some did not say, I am so glad that that man who was in unable to speak, he can talk now. He can communicate. He's no longer making signs and so forth. He can actually speak. But not everyone was grateful and so forth. So what's the confusion beneath the division? Well, verses 15 and 16 tell us. You know, you would think that the eyewitnesses would have said, you know, this is one thing that's positive that's happened in our community. Why don't we all come together and let's just all say, yes, thank you, God, for this wonderful thing that you have done. The goodness of God, the greatness of his son. But instead, notice there's a couple of divisions in the crowd. Verse 15 and 16 tell us some said one thing, others said another thing. What were they saying? Well, one group chose slander. You see, unbelief loves to undermine clear evidence of God's love, God's power. And so while there's a lot of evidence, Jesus just spoke. And this man now, he can speak. But instead they said, you know what he did? He cast out that demon by the prince of demons. Like that makes a lot of sense. We'll see his, Jesus' response to that one a little bit later. But one response was slander. Another response was, well, you could say the sensational. The sensational. You know, verse 16 says, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Isn't that kind of odd? Don't you find that interesting? He just did a sign. He just performed a miracle. This guy can actually speak now. And they're saying, if he could just give us a sign, if he could just prove it to us so that we'll all know the truth. And he's probably thinking, didn't I just do that for you guys? But anyway, there's some people, it's like, it's not about signs. It's not about the spectacular and the sensational. They just don't want to. They don't want to follow him. They don't want to believe him. So thirdly, we listen to Jesus as he gives a logical, rational reply. He's speaking truth to them, just like he always does. He's trying to reason with them regarding the deliverance because this guy was like in bondage and now he's free. He can speak. Something had him silent. As a matter of fact, did you notice sort of like some characteristics of the strategy in spiritual warfare? Let me just kind of make sure you don't miss this. One thing the enemy wants to do is to shut down communication. 
He likes silence. But if people are gonna speak, then you know what he does next? He said, well, I recommend you tell lies. So slander was next on the list. So if he can't get silence, he'll, he'll settle for slander. But if he can't get his work accomplished by slander, then he says, how about something sensational? It'll never happen. They'll keep waiting forever and ever. And if you can't get something with sensationalism, spectacular things, slander, silence, then why don't we just have separation? Why don't we just have it where they can't get along? Listen to what it says, though, how Jesus, he speaks with such clarity. Clarity, It's like clear when he speaks. Why is that? Why is it that Jesus can just say something and it's like so clear? Well, let me give you three possible things here. They're all found in this text. Look, look closely at verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them. I think one reason that Jesus speaks with such clarity is he knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. You see, you don't know my past. You may assume, well, he's always been a guy that's been good, done the right thing. He's up there preaching. I know he's had a good, you know, clean life. If you only knew how I lived before. God knew it. So one day I just said, Lord, I'm going to be honest. I'm not who you want me to be. I'm not following your design. And so, Lord, I, I want to change. Can you change me? Because I can't change myself. And so once I said that, it's amazing, but he already knows what you face. Maybe you feel kind of prejudged. Maybe you feel like people are looking down on you, but really, we're not looking down on you because you know what? Our church is filled with people who are sinners saved by grace. All of us are broken. All of us have simply had our sins washed away. But if we only knew, he already knows. He knows what you've been through, the good, the bad, the ugly. And you know what's amazing? He still loves us. He still loved me and he still loves you. Well, that's the clarity because of his omniscience, but there's also the clarity because of his intelligence. His intelligence. You know, Jesus knows, <laughs> he knows how to respond. He knows how to put together a defense. You don't have to be afraid of bringing your questions to him. No, you can bring them to him. You see, what he says is no kingdom, no family, no sports team, no army. Nobody survives when you have internal conflict. You always lose. Everybody always loses. And so think about how wise, think about his thinking and how logical their allegation. Oh, now we know why you were able to do that. You used the prince of the demons to cast out a demon. And I wonder if Jesus was like, have you guys really thought that one through? You know, it's like, come on. That's not, that's not even plausible. That doesn't even make sense. And so I thought about also how he speaks with clarity because of the coherence. His, his, his response to life, his response about eternity, about evil and suffering and sickness and all these different things, it's always consistent. Whereas his opponents, his detractors, well, their logic was flawed. It was inconsistent in their confrontation. But Jesus was always consistent. He was always coherent. He was always wise in what he said. You know what I would recommend to you? If you've never considered reading God's word, the Bible, I recommend reading it. 
I promise you'll find that it is so coherent in what it says to all of us. I've read through the Bible at least eight, nine, maybe 10 times. I've lost track. Now I've been on the trail for a while. Others in this congregation, they read through the scriptures as well. But you know what? Some people like to say the Bible's got mistakes in it, but they're not studying the Bible. They're just making accusations about it. So just trust him and say, you know what, Lord, I need some clarity right now in my life because there's a lot of confusion and I don't know what to trust. I don't know who to trust. I don't know which way to go. If you're at that place, would you just say to Jesus, you know what, if I can't trust anybody else, I believe you're going to tell me the truth. The other thing I want to go to is in verses 20 to 22 is the certainty of dominion. The certainty of dominion. You know, during Vacation Bible School, we studied the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I think it was on Wednesday. Whenever he goes into Jerusalem and people are yelling and yay, and they're laying down their clothes, they're putting uh, palm leaves, palm branches in the road and all these kind of things. They were so excited. But you see, it was a fulfillment of a promise way back like a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a thousand years before God had promised a man named David, someday David, someday David, there's going to be a king. And when he comes, his dominion will be an everlasting dominion. If you don't read anything else, then why don't you try Daniel sometime? Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Because Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is one of those places where a prophet is inspired by the Holy Spirit and he says, you know what? Someday there's going to be a king and his dominion will last forever and ever and ever. I want to share some things about his dominion, some things that you and I can rest on, some certainties that we can know about his kingdom. The first thing I want you to know about Christ's kingdom is the certainty of the authority of his kingdom, the certainty of, a, of the authority of his kingdom. Jesus says to those men that were saying, oh, you did it by the prince of demons. He's saying, really? Here's what he says in verse 20. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, he did cast out the demons. It's not a contest between two equals. There's no, there's no contest. God's, he's the Lord God, the Almighty. Satan has to bow before God. And so the Son of God comes, it's easy. He just casts out the demon. That is the authority of his kingdom. Can you do that? Can I do that? No, but he can do that. Maybe there's something in your life and it's like this, this spiritual problem is just, it's got a chokehold on me. I know somebody that can take that off. It's Jesus. He can help you with that. The certainty of the authority of the kingdom, but also the certainty of the arrival of the kingdom. He says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, a lot of generations before yours, mine, there were a lot of generations that came and died and they never got to hear about Jesus because he hadn't come yet. But just think how blessed we are, how blessed you are. We live on the other side of the cross the burial, the resurrection of Christ. We have a copy of the Word of God. How wonderful is it that all of these things are in our corner? The arrival of the kingdom and then the ability of the kingdom. You know, Luke records 10 physical healing miracles that Jesus performed. That's just in the Gospel of Luke. 
Do you know that out of the 10, four of them were related to some spiritual warfare? And so Jesus would not only heal them physically, but heal them and help them deliver them spiritually. But I want to close with one last thing. The most sobering part of this biblical record is Jesus' warning. It's like he warns them. Because some people were probably in the crowd and they were saying, you know what? We can think for ourselves, folks. We know that he did not cast out that demon by the prince of demons. So some people are saying, no way. We're not buying it. And then the other people were saying, just show us a sign. We'll follow you. And I think some were saying, we can see through that too. He just did a sign. And so some people were not saying I'm on Jesus' team. See, the reason I wore my shirt today I don't normally wear a t-shirt, but I did today because the kids were going to see. But I'm just identifying with them. And I'm saying, you know what? I'm on their team. But have you ever said, I'm on Jesus' team? That's what baptism, that's what a public profession of faith, when you give a witness for Christ, you're saying, you know what? I'm on his team. I'm standing with Christ. Some people were not going that far, but they were not going to stand on the other side and say, oh yeah, we know he did it by the prince of demons. We're asking for more and more proof. They weren't like that. But you know what the problem was? They were trying to be neutral. And you can't be neutral. You can't be neutral in life whenever God, when the Son of God, when the Spirit of God is working and saying, please come, be on my son's team. The Holy Spirit is drawing. The Father is saying, I love you. I created you for more of a purpose. But some people are saying, nah, you know what? I'm not really into religion, but I'm definitely not wanting to be against you and say ugly things about you guys. Well, that's kind of how it all ends here, isn't it? It's like Jesus gives this incredible word picture. And he also gives a clear, a clear division in the crowd in verse 23. Look at verse 23 very carefully and listen slowly to what he says. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me is scattering. You see what it is? It's a decision to be on the side with Jesus. Notice that not deciding for Jesus is making a decision once again to be against Jesus. And so he's just simply saying, I want you to be for me. I want you to help gather with me. Of course, the other thing in the word picture is verses 25 and 26. It's like, okay, so let's say someone does cast out a demon. Let's say you're able to shake a bad habit. You clean up your life. That's great. We can all cheer about that. But the problem is reformation apart from transformation. Just cleaning up your life apart from the Lord coming to live within your life Man, that doesn't cut it. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to the crowd that day. He was trying to say, you people are really good people. You know, but he said, here's the thing. You've got to make a decision. Whose team are you on? You know, what would it be like if I were to go to uh, an Astros game and I root for the Mariners or I go with a Mariners t-shirt on or I go for you know with the A's or something like this I'm I'm wearing the jersey of someone else wouldn't that be sad to go there and have the jersey of another team on when I'm really for the Houston Astros but you know for us we need to say Lord please would you help me 
to make a clear decision, not just to be moral, not just to try to improve my life so that it's still empty, but to say, okay, Lord, I welcome you in. The last decision is to follow Jesus. Right there in the middle of everything, this lady just, it says, she, and he said these things, as he said these things, Jesus is talking, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And so can you imagine? But he turns and he says, well, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so what he's trying to say is, it's more than just saying something. It's more than just saying, yay, yay. Way to go, Mary. Way to go, Jesus. Way to go, God. And yet there's no obedience. There's no surrender. There's no identification with a certain team. Whenever Jesus called people to be his disciples, let's go back to what it says. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. So it's about who are you following? Which team are you playing for? Is there commitment? Is there surrender? Is there obedience? Is there learning? Is there loyalty to Christ? The message from this text is clear. Neutrality is impossible in the spiritual invisible war. At some point, each of us will make a decision between good and evil. This decision comes down to trusting in Jesus' finished work of redemption on the cross. This is the last verse I want to share. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. It talks about Jesus' triumph. How come his death on the cross makes such a difference in, in individual lives? Here's why. This is what it says in Colossians 2, 14 and 15. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see what just happened? There was a long list of sins that I committed. Let's say there were debts I owed God. All my debts, Jesus said, I will pay it. And so it says that my debts, your debts, were nailed to the cross. But then there's something else it says that the rulers and the authorities were disarmed and put to open shame by triumphing over them. You see, that's the other thing. Jesus won. I know when you see him down the cross, you're thinking, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can see he lost, didn't he? No, he didn't lose. You see, Satan tried so hard to get him to disobey the Father, but Jesus lived a perfect life. So that's why when they placed him in the tomb, the Word of God says this, over 500 people saw this after the fact. They saw the Father raise Jesus from the dead. He's alive. That's why he can help us in 2022, because he's alive. So I want to invite you, if you will, to stand with me to stand with me and I want to give an opportunity. Maybe no one needs to make a decision. You heard in Vacation Bible School and Trudy said there's a lot of people who have already, you know, made decisions. Some have questions, some aren't ready, but some might be ready. How do I know which is which? So I just always stand down front and I'm willing to talk to anybody that would like to follow Jesus Christ. That would like to say, you know what? I've been losing in that spiritual battle. I'm tired of losing. I'm ready to follow Jesus and start experiencing his victory. So let's pray together. Lord, once again, thank you so much for um, all those that are here.
thank you for the children that sang. Thank you for um, Caden and Lily Hill. Thank you again for them just making up their mind. They said, yes, yes, I will. Yes, I will follow Jesus. Maybe there's someone else. I wanna give them the opportunity during this last song. So if there is someone here that says, you know what, I wanna follow him. I'm tired of trying to do life without him. Then please draw them to yourself this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.